Welcome to The Insider, a Southern Oregon news podcast from the Mail Tribune and Rosebud Media. I'm your host, Mail Tribune web editor Ryan File. This is the 19th episode of the show, which I've had going for about two years now, and the uh, final episode of 2019. So, uh, 19 on 19. I, I swear I didn't plan it this way. Um, <laughs> historically, episodes have consisted of me um, inviting a reporter on to talk about a meteor story that they worked on and give listeners a behind-the-scenes look at how it all came together. Uh, today's episode is going to be a little different. Uh, Mail Tribune Editor-in-Chief Justin Umberson is on today, and we're going to be doing a look back at some of the top local and a few uh, state stories of the year. Uh, the decade's best might come later. That was a bit tougher to wrap my brain around. This honestly seemed more manageable at this point. Um, Justin, welcome. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. We've got a lot to cover, uh, but I was hoping to start off with a bit of personal history uh, from you, so you can kind of tell folks your story, you know, when you first came on board, your journey to the boss man chair, stuff like that. Well, um, I was originally, uh, first day at the Mill Tribune was July 5th, 2016. Um, I was uh, just a digital copy editor then. Um, I was the guy who would proof pages at night. Uh, That was back when we were owned by Gatehouse, and I spent a lot of time uh, on holidays and weekends uh, here by myself. It was, uh, and um, eventually, um, after uh, Stephen Saslow and Rosebud Media purchased the Mail Tribune, I, um, Kathy Noah gave me the option of being the the copy desk chief, which I I was glad to accept. I had previously done something similar in Central Washington. And then uh, in November of last year, uh, we had a city editor vacancy. Uh, I applied for that and got that that position. And uh, unfortunately, Kathy left us in May. And uh, so that left another position open. And so I applied for that position. And I um, I, I was named the full-time editor a couple months ago. Um, so uh, over three years, I've just uh, weaseled my way to the top somehow. My favorite story about this place is how uh, Ryan and everyone else treated me like I'd been here for 10 years on my first day. And so, um, you know, that gives you a lot of confidence to, to, uh, to do the job well when everyone treats you so well. Well, thanks. And, and uh, we feel the same way about you for sure. Um, definitely quite the journey, quite the quick journey. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, okay, well, great. Uh, so with that out of the way, um, I wanted to do sort of a lightning round um, for this, uh, you know, but 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 not really. Just uh, as rapidly as I can, just lift the, list these stories off because there's a few, um, and then kind of talk about them. Just thoughts and comments that you have along the way, and and same for me. I wanted to start off with um, five of the most uh, memorable stories I wrote this year because, well, this is my show, um, and then we can move on to our top tens total, um, and we can just, like I said, just chat about it along the way and all that good stuff. Sound good? Yeah, that's great. This is uh, sort of a uh, look back for me, just a personal look back for me. Um, so the first one that uh, came to mind that I worked on uh, this year was the uh, the bomb cyclone, uh, that uh, really big storm that was the result of a rapid pressure drop um, that came with that wintry system that kind of uh, threw into our area on Thanksgiving week. Um, and obviously Mount Shasta ended up getting probably the bulk of that, but we got hit pretty good too. 
Um, and that was just really interesting because um, we, it was sort of a reminder of uh, just the power of these systems, even though that they, they originate on the ocean and they can be sort of, you know, that their epicenter can be sort of farther south, farther north, that just we right in the middle can still feel the effects of this very much. Um, and the, the reason that this was memorable for me also was the, um, the attentiveness that I noticed of, uh, of readers um, who, you know, reaching out to me, uh, continuing to ask questions either on, either on Twitter or email or, you know, a, a call or two even. Um, people were really engaged and in, in interested in this, um, especially because of the fact that it co- and coincided with uh, Thanksgiving week travel. Yeah, and I think um, the most interesting thing about it was all the wind. You know, trees were knocked over. And, uh, you know, just uh, it, it wasn't as bad as as um, we thought it was going to be because we didn't get snow along with it. That was also forecast with it. We, we got some a little bit of rain, but uh, there was no, you know, cars trying to drive on icy roads or anything like that. So I think we really avoided um, a major some a major catastrophes or tragedies from that. But. I just yeah, I remember coming in and, and seeing uh, just in the parking lot there was a tree knocked down next to my car, and um, and just uh, you know the power of the the weather and how it can um, knock down something that has probably been standing there for 50 years. And just that we're sort of at its mercy, right? We we make these plans to go and see family and friends over the holiday, but then something like this comes in and it can just throw a monkey wrench into the whole operation. Right. Um, you know, it's just a uh, we, it's the one thing that we can't control is the, is the weather, right? It's like we, we can't put ourselves in a bubble, especially if we're trying to travel. We have to um, go out into the elements, and um, weather, the, the weather doesn't care if it's Thanksgiving or if it's Christmas. And it's important uh, in this area, too, just because of um, you know things that are inconsequential down in the valley, like a little bit of rain, some wind, higher up, at the passes, it's a lot more important because that's where you get the uh, usually get the snow. That's where you usually get the more intense rain and the sleet and the the higher winds. Because once it's rolled its way down into the valley, whether due to inversions or uh, this, that, and the other, the wind has calmed quite a bit. But um, higher up, um, and we are in an area of uh, varying degrees of elevation, it's a lot more severe. So this is very important, even when it feels like oh. This isn't as big of a deal down right. here. Um, well, drive a few miles yeah. uphill, and it'll be a totally yeah. different story. You can't get in or out of the valley without going through higher elevations. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, you know, you, you see it's, well, it's just a little bit of wind here, but you have to add in the, the colder temperatures and the precipitation of the higher elevation. So it's... You, you, you have to know what's going on. Uh, the second one, I wanted to switch gears here really quick. Um, this one was, uh, was one that I wrote pretty recently, too. Um, this was probably the, uh, the most tragic story that I wrote this year. Uh, a young man, uh, 27-year-old Anthony Panter, uh, was uh, driving home from work about 7.30 at night on Eagle Mill Road outside Ashland, um, and he uh, uh, crashed his car, and, and he died. Um, and this one really hit the community hard because of how many people knew uh, the, this young man and, and liked him quite a bit, too. He was, he was very well-liked, um, just uh, very popular um, with a lot of people, had a lot of friends, um, had just gotten married. Um, and uh, the reason that this, that this story was uh, memorable for me uh, in, uh, in a lot of ways, um, the bad kind of memorable, is, was just 
making those calls uh, and, and looking around for people who were willing to talk when the wounds were still fresh. And to their credit, um, I was able to, you know, talk to one of his best friends, um, one of his uh, one of his managers where he worked at Standing Stone as as a bartender. Her, uh, he might have led actually the, that entire uh, department, for lack of a better word. Um, and then a, a couple of other friends. I mean, to their credit, they they. Um, had so many nice things to say about him and it really made the story a lot more thorough and complete just in terms of like this is who this person was as opposed to there was a crash and someone died it was we it was able to indicate a little bit more of who this person was when they were alive and what kind of legacy they left to it it always uh, says a lot about a person when people uh, when loved ones are willing to talk after um, a, a tragedy like that especially when it's a 27 year old when you know, you figure he's got he's got tons of decades ahead of him, and it's it's so tragic and so unexpected that uh, you know people who are willing to um, you know stop their mourning for a minute to reflect on such a you know a brief but you know uh, um, good person. And uh, you know, I was just uh, looking at the story recently, and uh, you know. It's one of those things where people need, you know, help because he's 27 years old. He doesn't have a lot of savings. He's recently married, and um, he's a local musician. So he's, um, you know, he's he, he's not wealthy by any stretch of the mag- uh, imagination. And uh, the the community has helped out so much with that. Uh, their GoFundMe is at nearly thirty-five thousand dollars. Oh wow! And I think the original goal was just fifteen thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Yeah, so. that was going to say that's more than double. Yeah. The goal. So um, you know, that's just shows how much people around here, um, how much he meant to people around here. And, um, you know, people donated as recently as three days ago. So it's not like they reached their goal and people just like, I don't have to. He's he's loved. People are still out there um, thinking about him. And so um, this is an important person. And it's just a tragic story where, you know, uh, you know gone way too young and um, but with a huge impact on, on everyone around him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that was a big part of the story was just his legacy. And just, I mean, and that was something that his best friend said was that, um, you know, yeah, he was only 27, but he left such a, a huge impact on so many people. Um, just the fact that he, if you would not, you didn't know each other at all, but if he met you at a party, you could be best friends by the end of the night, essentially. Just like he he had that kind of, of power, that kind of inclusivity, and it was just obviously very important to him to make everybody feel welcome, you know? So, absolutely. Um, uh, another one, uh, switching gears again, uh, and this was back uh, in April, the, the cougar that was killed in Medford. Um, I, I would say, probably for me, this was the one that garnered the most feedback uh, for, for me. Um, again, and so to sort of recap, there had been several sightings of this cougar around Medford City proper, and this was mostly in Bear Creek Park where people had seen it. And then finally, the manager of the Savannah Inn, which is you know right on that main drag right across the street from Costco, um, or excuse me, uh, from Winco, saw it a few times uh, in some bushes near the motel's front entrance. Uh, police show up, and eventually they have to kill it. Um, and police said at the time that they did do that because it's a heavily populated area. Um, and the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife uh, agreed with them. Um, and that's just because of their policy that when 
animals go into these more urban centers, they can get acclimated and eventually they stop hiding and they get a little bit more courageous and eventually they say they're going to attack somebody. And there had been no attacks whatsoever, there had just been the sightings, but ODFW said, based on what they've seen, that it's going to progress to that eventually. And they can't use a tranquilizer dart because most of the time these animals will come back. Um, and you go back to 2009, uh, and there was an example of this where there was a bear that had been seen near an elementary school. Um, I think it was Lone Pine Elementary. It was darted and it was transported to northeastern Klamath County. It traveled 80 miles back to the almost the original spot. And that's where a uh, hunter killed it. So. Um, that was their reasoning for it, but this was very divisive, obviously, because there were a lot of people who thought you shouldn't have killed it, just leave it alone. Um, and this caused, a, 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 there was a pr pretty divisive, um, you know, one way of looking at it and another way of looking at it, especially reflected in the, the numerous Facebook comments that we got, that Medford Police got on their original post about it. Um, what were your, some of your takeaways? You know, those are just territory animals. It's a hundred and hundred plus pound predator, so it's... Um, you know, if it, if it wants to attack something, it's, it's, there's nothing we can really do to stop it. And, um, unfortunately it was in a area where it's only prey is small children or, um, you know, people's pets. And, uh, you know, there's, it's a tough decision to make to what you want to do with, uh, these animals, especially territorial ones, you know, they're, uh, there, a cougar's not just out roaming, looking for prey. There's, you know, it has its little home base and it has its, um, just area that it, it hunts and protects in and then it goes, goes back. And, um, and so that if you got to trust the experts, if they say relocating it isn't going to, um, isn't going to work out in the long run. And then we're just going to have another issue. Well, you, this is a, just one of those situations where you take their word for it. Um, you know, this is a very polarizing subject where, you know, we are living in a you know, place with wildlife around us. There's deer everywhere. Uh, there, you know, just, you know, raccoons and all kinds of different wildlife around us. And, um, and yeah, we moved into their, their ecosystem, but, uh, we do have a responsibility to ourselves and the people around us to, to make sure that, um, you know, we can still be here too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, number four, I would say, uh, once again, for, for me, uh, was the, the milepost 97 fire. Um, and that I wasn't the only one who worked on this, but I did do a couple stories on it. Now to recap, this was this fire that grew to more than 13,000 acres in Douglas County started by an illegal campfire, um, and it was our only real uh, smoke of the summer. Um, yeah, and crews were actually able to clamp down on it pretty quickly, and that, that was sort of a testament, uh, luckily, to the lackluster fire season of 2019, and especially how it compared to the previous year in 2018, when we just, when it just felt like we were never gonna get out of the smoke. Um, I did another story recently where there were 24 days that year in 2018, where we were at unhealthy or worse. At one point, uh, July 23rd, 2018, we were the worst air quality in the world for a few hours. Um, pretty unbelievable. Um, and th this uh, quote from uh, Natalie Weber, who's the former PIO for Oregon Department of Forestry, really uh, 
says a lot about about this. Uh, she said, in, in 2018, there was so much going on. There were so many fires across the state, across the West, that when we needed resources, they weren't always available. Um, this year, it was a much quieter year all the way around, and so when we had fires and we had initial attack situations going on, we could call and get five helicopters and four air tankers. And so j just sort of an example, like they had the apparatus and people available because they weren't spread out all over the place or they weren't on the Klondike and Taylor Creek fires uh, working on these hundreds of thousands of acres worth of damaged property. Um, and so my post-97 fire was, wasn't only memorable because it was the biggest fire that we had last year, but it was also memorable because it was sort of like the antithesis of what we had already seen. Yes, there was still fire. Yes, there was still smoke, but it was a lot more um, restrained than what it had been. Yeah, um, I remember the, the day that uh, this, the mile post-97 fire uh, smoke started like kind of coming into the valley and it just it gives you that sinking feeling it's like are we about to go through this again because in 27 and 2018 um it was just relentless and you you couldn't go outside without feeling like garbage just from inhaling uh smoke and uh you know just breathing in ash and and all the other you know particles in the air and so I remember that day um, and just just having the sinking feeling, is, it, is this it? Is this the end of our summer? And, uh, and thankfully it wasn't. You know, we had a, some time of uh, smoky air where, you know, we did have to stay inside or leave the valley for a little bit. But, um, you know, the crews were, uh, the you know, the firefighting crews from across the state were just available because there was nothing else going on. So, and even though this was kind of in a tough place to to battle a, a wildfire, they they got in there and they um, they they got it out as, as quickly as they as they possibly could. And then, um, uh, other than that, it was just it's it like it just felt like we skated through the summer. Um, there was no uh, no bad fires. Uh, we did have a couple of lightning strikes, but you know um, on that. Uh, but you know, since crews were available, they just they jumped on them right away and. And um, they really prevented um, uh, us from losing another summer. And um, I think that's just a huge deal that this year we uh, we made it through the summer with just, you know, just a little blip instead of a, um, another another summer spent inside away from enjoying our area. Uh, and lastly for me, uh, and this was more of a fun one, and, and uh, the Rogue River Cream, or the Rogue Creameries, uh, Rogue River Blue Cheese, and for people who don't live here, that's it's a pretty big deal here, um, in terms of popularity, um, how many people like it, and now it is a big deal to the world uh, because the, this Rogue River Blue Cheese was crowned world champion at the 32nd annual World Cheese Awards um, back in October, and. Uh, this was this was cool just because it, it just you know it's always neat when when you can shine a little light on our valley and, and kind of it's like hey this is where we're this is where we're from this is what we're about um, and David Grummel's uh, the, uh, the the top guy over at uh, Rogue Creamery he was so great to talk to and he was so excited about this award it was it was a really nice conversation that we had and I did it on a Sunday and it was just a great way to spend a Sunday when you're on shift and there's not a lot going on so. Uh, really, really enjoyed doing that, um, and I just thought it was uh, worth mentioning just because uh, it's quite an honor to, to, to get that. Um, and it is 
truly good cheese. I've had it on several salads myself. So uh, yeah, it's it's a really good um, story. You know that. Uh, the the valley is known for what wine and, and now now even hemp and and uh, marijuana um, growing, but uh, there's uh, you know we have the world's best blue cheese too. Mm-hmm. So uh, officially, <laughs> so take that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So those were mine. Uh, I just wanted to kind of recap those because because I just it's always neat to kind of look back and see things that uh, you can uh, that you remember impacting you in some way or that were sort of a big deal. So uh, let's switch uh, gears to some of our top stories uh, just overall of the year. Uh, what 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 was uh, the first one on your list? Like the biggest story, one of the biggest stories of the year overall. I think our our top story of the year was probably um, Dennis Richardson and um, you know the guy who lived in Central Point and uh, represented, you know, the area in the state legislature and uh, was the Secretary of State for, um, you know, just involved in city and state government for, for decades and involved in the community. Um, his death uh, in, in February really, um, really uh, was a tragic thing for the community. And, you know, um, uh, political party aside and stuff like that, I, I think uh, everyone uh, really... Um, Everyone believed in in Dennis Richardson, and that's why he was the first um, Republican to be elected in a statewide election since 2002. So, um, 14 years in between that occurrence, he's just uh, he had a big family, nine nine children, and um, and he was just uh, you know the, someone who represented this area well and fought for Southern Oregon for for a long time, and I think. Uh, Losing him was a, a big deal for this area. Uh, and yeah, what what's next? What what's number two on there? Would you say? I think the the number two story is probably the jail. Um, all the um, back and forth with the jail. It started out in the spring, and it just uh, you know it's been going on for for months and months and months. And and uh, you know the the county has been trying to get the taxing district from all the individual cities instead of just doing a, a bond because the taxing district doesn't expire. And so in order to fund the jail forever, um, you need to have the money to fund it forever. And you see the point to that. Um, so, uh, but it's, it's been a hard road for them to, to get uh, buy-in from uh, some city councils. And, uh, you know, it was supposed to be on the ballot this November and they couldn't get it on. And so... Um, they're looking at May now, and I, um, 170 million dollars to build it, plus all the money it's going to take to, to run it. Um, it's a big ask from the, this community. Um, you know, uh, not everyone has the, you know, the money to pay for for this, and so, um, it's an it's an it's an, an a jail. A bigger jail is a necessity for the community, and, uh, but. Uh, they're asking a lot, so I'm interested to see how this is going to play out um, next year. Mm-hmm. And again, just the divisiveness on that. There, there, there's definitely two, two mindsets of it. You know, one, our jail is is expired. It was expired when we built it, basically, like day one. It was it was out of date. Uh, we've needed this for a long time. Just uh, um, and then the amount of. Um, People who are released on their own recognizance um, after they're arrested is really frustrating, not only for law enforcement, but for the public. And then the other side of it is, like you mentioned, it's more of a fiscal 
fiscal viewpoint, I mean, 170 million is a daunting price yeah. tag, right? Um, and so it, it, it's definitely been a very um, polarizing issue. And, uh, you know, there's uh, people who say we, we need to spend more money on um, mental health care and uh, addiction uh, recovery. And, um, you know, that's, uh, um, that's also true. And there's not a one catch-all thing to, that's going to solve all the issues we're having um, that are crime-related. And uh, so, you know, I, I, it's, there, there's, a, there's, there's issues that are going to be pulling people in every direction. And so I, I'm really curious to see um, what, what the voters are going to say when, when they finally get to, a chance to weigh in. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up for you. Uh, I think the hemp, the, you know, we, we, uh, we really experienced uh, hemp in a lot of different ways this, uh, this, this uh, year. Uh, you know, we had the, the, in fall, we got the, the nice odor that lingered for a while. Um, you know, it was supposed to be the green rush. Everyone's coming to grow hemp in southern Oregon. Uh, you know, they, it seemed like everybody did. Right. It, uh, but a lot of people didn't have a plan. You know, this is the not everyone uh, struck gold um, with their, their hemp. And that um, there was reportedly people who lost everything, and the people who made money are the people who had been doing this for a long time. Because you know you have to have certain things set up before you even get started. Like you have to have a place to process it, have to have a place to hold it, um, because the infrastructure wasn't big enough to for all the the acreage we had planted. And um, unfortunately, it kind of uh, um, didn't work out for everybody. But uh, you know, I'm sure. New people will be back next year with trying to do the same thing. What is uh, number four for you? I think uh, Dennis Day, the um, the missing Mouseketeer, um, mm-hmm. the the saga that uh, you know it started started in 2018 when his family reported him missing, and um, you know the finally finding a body in in April and um, and uh, identifying it as him. I, I think it was long overdue. You know the the family has uh, filed or intended to file a lawsuit, one of the two, um, against uh, the city because uh, they say they that the investigators stepped over his body while they were searching the house the first time, and that's um, you know it, it may or may not be true, you know, it, but that's what they're alleging right now. Um, it's just a really tragic story of you know. Um, you know, a, a guy who was well liked, and um, you know, he, you know, people focus on the Mouseketeer, but you know, he he did like a lot of uh, you know, kind of method acting and stuff like that, and uh, Renaissance fairs, and he, just a, a well known person for, um, throughout the years for for his professional career and and stuff like that, and. Um, and you know if the the family wasn't given answers for so long, and um, while it might might be nice to have a little bit of closure now, now there, the, there's the lawsuit and the, the trial for uh, Daniel Berta, who who is charged with manslaughter in uh, in his death. So I, I'm curious to see how that's going to play out also in in the coming years because that story is not over. 
No, it's not. Um, and uh, to his to his credit, too, uh, Nick Morgan, our, our crime reporter, has has done a really good job of staying on top of that. And, and just it, it seems like every little development that happens, he is aware of it um, and, and, and has done some really great original reporting. And, and uh, like you say, he's not done yet. There's a lot to go. So what's number five for you? Um, we already touched on this one a little bit, fire and smoke. Uh, the Milepost 97 fire was definitely the 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 biggest fire there's a couple little small ones uh, there's one in Applegate um, that we got some really great photos of our Jamie Lush our photographer just um, took beautiful photos of the the tankers dropping on that one and and the crews knocked that one out quickly as well uh, but yeah just the lack of fire and smoke I think after 20, 2017 2018 um, fire season I think um, it still merits bringing up that hey it was these things uh, are still happening, and we got lucky one year. Mm-hmm. You know what was really interesting about that fire, too, um, and, and then the other fires that ODF was uh, able to hop on really quickly is just the fact that, and I don't know if you felt this way, um, you kind of mentioned this with the smoke from the Milepost 97 fire, just that sinking feeling, but every time one of these fires would happen, would pop up, and we'd see a smoke column or we'd hear scanner chatter or both, I just remember it, it was kind of like a... a trigger warning for me it was just like uh, uh like uh, it was just like is this going to be the one you know right. and you know again to their credit they'd quash it at 15 20 acres most of the time and they and they'd get it um and we'd move on to another one but it was just it, it i found it so odd how conditioned i've already become to every time one of these pops it's like is this going to be one you know is this going to be another huge one another klondike fire yeah i i totally agree that uh, you know it was just like you just your your spine kind of tightens up a little bit, and you're like, oh no. Yeah, uh, yeah. What w- what's next for you? Uh, everything that happened at the state legislature this year, you know, but between you know the the Republicans walking out trying to uh, kill the cap and trade bill, and eventually the cap and trade bill um, did die. Uh, you know, the single use plastic bill that uh, you know we're this year we can't use um, you know plastic bags from grocery stores or from restaurants you know if you want a straw you have to ask for a straw now or you can buy a, a metal straw I, I have one they're they're very nice <laughs> uh, but you know, um, just uh, the little things like that um, and also the uh, <clears throat> day, killing daylight savings time which it's long overdue like, this is it's like changing it's 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 going to be 2020 we don't need to change your clocks back and forth anymore guys that people work around the clock yeah we need we need to move on from that. Uh, speaking of moving on, what was another one for you? I think uh, the local plane crash, um, all the shenanigans that happened with that. The two guys have been charged in several states and um, and uh, federally as well. So they're is it Idaho where they? Yeah, and to set the stage really quickly, uh, what what happened with this? I don't remember what month it was, but uh, there was a it was a two it was a uh, single engine plane. Um, and uh, people had been actually recording it on their phones uh, as it was flying over because it was doing some really weird flight patterns, and then it crashed in an East Medford neighborhood. Um, and uh, luckily, nobody nobody was uh, killed or anything like that. Uh, one of the, the I think that either the passenger or the pilot said he got all his teeth knocked out or something like. So they they were injured. It started out as oh my gosh, there's a plane crash, and then um, and then you know they. They, now they're facing drug charges, and now they're they're facing federal drug charges for alleged smuggling, and then um, then we don't even know who the owner of the plane is. Now, Nick Morgan did a story on 
on just the uh, the back and forth between the alleged owners of the plane saying, well, that's my plane, or no, that's his plane, um, it's not registered, it's, it's way more than a plane crash, it's just uh, unraveling. Uh, and then another one for you. Uh, Greg Walden announcing his retirement. Uh, I know that there's a, a lot of uh, uh, congressmen, um, Republican congressmen, who have announced their retirement over the past year. Um, and uh, Greg Walden is, is one of one of them. Uh, he's our you know our our U.S. rep. Uh, uh, he you know does a say what you will about him, but he's he's represented us for decades, and uh, um, you know uh, he has a, a one of the biggest um, districts in the, in the U.S. Uh, Congress, uh, and. Uh, and uh, so uh, I'm more interested in seeing who who replace him in uh, in Congress, because locally Jason Atkinson uh, is has announced he's running, which would be a huge deal just for someone from the area uh, to to actually represent this area. And then there's uh, Newt Bueller, who uh, lost uh, to Kate Brown for governor, has announced his plans to run as well. So um, you know it's it's a heavily Republican-leaning district, so, but we're going to have a new state rep and uh, pretty soon, and, and I think that's going to be a big story for us uh, to cover and and another person to be held accountable by our newsroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, and next up? Uh, vaping, and uh, vaping news would not stop this year Mm-mm. with uh, people allegedly dying from vaping-related illnesses to uh, Governor Kate Brown, um, banning flavored vaping products for six months and um and then you know local vaping local stores that were carrying vaping products um took their their products off the shelves just to before this was even before the ban even took place Uh, it seems like every uh, every time you turn around there's someone else who's been um sickened or um hurt just from uh, vaping and yeah it's it's something that uh, you know, it's it's brand new. We don't have a lot of science about it because it's it's a new product, and uh, we're kind of watching it. Uh, you know, we're the, the users of the petri dish of of science in this case. Um, unfortunately, uh, it hasn't um, hasn't been all smooth sailing, and uh, and but uh, vaping has been a very big story uh, locally. Yeah. Um, couple more for you. Um, I think uh, Tucker Reed, the Tucker Reed murder trial is going to be in 2020. Uh, in 2019, we got some big bombshells from this case. Uh, sh- her uh, charges were um, upped from manslaughter to murder. And to recap, this is the woman who allegedly shot her uncle in the chest um, out in the Applegate. Um, and uh, I be- believe it was back in 2016 when this actually happened. Okay, uh, I- go ahead and take it from there. So uh, um, Tucker Reed, uh, in January... Uh, in a in a court appearance, they played a cell phone video from the crime, from the alleged crime, and um, you know you can see nearly everything. Um, there's a she's in the in her parents' house or parents or family's house, and um, her uncle is outside, and you watch Tucker Reed pick up a gun with the cell phone video, and, and you and you watch her uncle come inside, and you hear everything, and it's. Um, very, uh, it's very damning um, what what you watch, and uh, 
And so um, she's her defense lawyer actually gave gave this to this the um, the county. So um, you know, it's it's interesting to see how. Uh, they thought that was going to help their defense. But uh, so that was in January where this big bombshell was released. It's like, oh, my gosh, there's a video of this alleged shooting and, and killing. And then uh, later on in the year, we realized that uh, while she was out on uh, bail from her manslaughter, when it was just a manslaughter charge, she uh, starred in a movie. She allegedly shoots a gun in that movie. There, well, I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know if uh, if she's the... Um, if she's the killer or not, but uh, she's yeah, she supposedly shoots someone in that movie too. Whether it's the killer or she's the killer, but so yeah, it'll it'll be really interesting to to see how this all unfolds for sure. And yeah, Nick Morgan is on top of this one as well. He's um, he's he's been on on the Tucker Reed case from day one, and uh, um, we'll make sure that uh, we'll be there at every step of the way of this one because um, it's. Uh, it's uh, it's gotten a lot of national attention, but a lot of local people well, care too because uh, she's uh, from a well-off family. Um, she had a relative who was Anna Nicole Smith's lawyer. It's there's there's a lot of lot of weird um, little um, intricacies in this one. So, uh, and then last one, would you say? Um, I I think uh, suicide is probably. Um, uh, a big one this year. We, you know, we we did a big series on breaking the silence where um, typically newsrooms don't talk about suicide. Um, we don't re- really report on suicide unless it's in a public place um, uh, or a person of note. But uh, uh, we um, we joined newsrooms across the state uh, early this year, and um, and we, um, you know, we actually talked about it. We talked about people who deal with suicide on every on an everyday basis. We talked to, to people who um, had attempted suicide or wanted to commit, uh, wanted to harm themselves, and uh, um, really, you know, uh, shined a light on uh, this thing that no one wants to talk about. And we made it front and center. And um, I think that was uh, something important we did in, in the past year. Yeah, I think that was a really important uh, series that we were part of. Um, we joined other newsrooms um, across the state, um, and they all had their own uh, contributions to it, uh, their own people that they talked to and stuff like that. And it was a really big project, and it was a really fulfilling thing to be a part of. Vicki Aldis did a really magnificent job, uh, and Kaylee Turnay, and uh, um, both of them did really, really good work with that, for sure. Um, there were a couple other ones uh, that I wanted to, to mention here as well. Um, the uh, it was a, it was a big year for transportation. Um, Damian Mann uh, did uh, some pretty extensive reporting on the mega corridor, as it's called, the uh, the the big amount of work that they're going to be doing to sort of have a backup uh, when and if uh, the uh, the viaduct is damaged in a huge earthquake or something like that. And it's also uh, responding to just general population growth in the valley like that. And then the Rogue Valley Expressway, too, the uh, the lovely little avenue that you can use to bypass all that traffic on uh, Crater Lake Highway. As you're going out from Medford out to White City or Eagle Point or stuff like that, it's supposed to cut down on time. A lot of people have really seemed to like it, um, and so he's done a lot of stuff on that. Um, the other thing, uh, there was a pretty stunning story uh, that reporter Kaylee Turnay did uh, a few months ago on Highway 199. 
Uh, speaking of transportation, it's one of the most dangerous highways in the state of Oregon, uh, just because of the number of fatal crashes that have happened on it. Uh, and she dug really deep into why this is happening and what are some of the factors that contribute to that and uh, um, what are some of the things that the Oregon Department of Transportation is looking at doing uh, to make it safer for, for drivers as, it, as they move forward. And then lastly, and this was, wasn't any one story, but there were just a lot of new faces in uh, positions of authority at, uh, at agencies around here. Uh, we have a new Medford police chief. We have a new Medford fire chief. We have a new superintendent for Medford School District, and we have a new director for the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And this was all within this year. Um, and uh, so I thought that was pretty interesting to, to note as well. Um, looking forward to 2020, uh, and you've mentioned a couple of these already, but what are some of the big stories you're looking forward to continuing coverage on? Well, uh, 2020 is going to be a big year for elections. Um, you know, um, on top of uh, the big presidential election, uh, we're also going to have uh, a new state rep to elect uh, in 2020. Um, uh, there's going to be a short legislative session as well, where uh, you know, cap and trade is going to be a, a big deal again, as well as um, more wildfire help, hopefully. I, um, there's going to be bills for Southern Oregon that uh, we're going to watch closely. Um, so that's, I think that's going to be, uh, that's what that's what we're planning on to cover for next year. Mm -hmm. What would you say one of the most challenging uh, stories we covered this year was? Um, the thing, the one where the things just kept happening. There were a lot of layers to it. Jordan Cove. Like, like the 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 pipeline that's uh, that won't go away. The it's over a decade now, and uh, Pembina has taken over, and uh, you know they've got more landowners to to get on board. But you know there's um, federal hurdles and state hurdles, and I'm just watching um, you know the the fight over whether or not to have a, the the natural um, gas pipeline um, or the liquid natural gas pipeline um, is is a is a big deal to a lot of people um, you know it's a big deal to workers and, and union and the union people who who want um, the work and it's a big deal to to people who who uh, care about natural resources and and um, you know just the, the the land we live on so uh, you know I'm sure it's the fight won't be over in 2020 but uh, but um, it's going to it's going to be there. It's going to be lingering for a long time. Mm -hmm. And what about one of the most rewarding stories that you got to be a part of as editor? I think uh, you know uh, a lot of the series we worked on um, really had uh, some good impacts. The light one candle series that we just finished made sure um, fifteen families around the valley um, had a good Christmas and good holiday um, that they wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, uh, we did so many stories on uh, homelessness this year, uh, you know, uh, with Compassion Highway Project. Um, you know, at the first part of the year, they're finding donations to get homeless people into hotel rooms when it was kind of like a blizzard outside, and and making sure everyone had a nice place to sleep, and um, and rogue retreats, uh, moving um, into their uh, year-round uh, shelter um, instead of just having, um, you know partial shelter and also the uh, the the shelter in Ashland where you know in the years past um, homeless would have to go from one place to another every day and now they have a 
just one one building where they can stay at um, all week long um, and have a have meals provided and all that. Absolutely. Anything else that you wanted to add? Uh, it's uh, it was it was a very uh, it was a very um, eventful year, but uh, you know that's that's what we're here for. Absolutely. Well, hey, uh, thank you for being here. Really appreciate that. Um, from all of us at the Mail Tribune, Happy New Year, and we will see you again in 2020.